Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Who gets to decide? Oh. What is and is not an accurate interpretation of the things of God? Who gets to decide that? Well, among the Roman Catholics, the person who gets to decide such things is the Pope. And Pope Francis um, has stated that uh, conservative Catholics in the United States of America have replaced their faith with ideology and that a correct understanding of Catholic doctrine allows for, quote, change over time. So uh, he's calling it a climate of closure in the United States where um, people who he describes as having a reactionary faith have replaced the faith, which he understands, obviously, as the Roman Catholic understanding of the faith, which is, I would argue, itself an ideology, um, that uh, that these people who are arguing um, let's say specifically that marriage is to be between one man and one woman as designed by God and articulated in the scriptures of both the Old and the New Testaments. Uh, these are the people who the Pope is describing as reactionary, um, that they have uh, lost the true tradition and turned to ideologies. Okay, so he says uh, ideology has replaced faith and membership in a sector of the church has replaced membership in the church. So here's the here's the confusion that I um, experience here when someone like the Pope, who is operating out of a particular ideological um, understanding, uh, he's not a you know Bible only as the Word of God, standing alone as the only foundation of uh, of, of our understanding. He is standing on Catholic tradition, so. That is the point from which he can argue that doctrine changes over time because he's not a Bible-only guy. So I'll just go ahead and say I'm a Bible-only girl. Like, right? It's, it, um, God has said it. I believe it. it it's, that's, that may seem grossly simplistic to you. And you may say, how, how could a person with a, a seminary degree from Princeton— <laughs> argue that. But um, I I can, capably so, if you force me to. Um, God has revealed himself in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments, and he has revealed his will. And you don't need something in addition to that. You don't need a priest in addition to Jesus, and you don't need um, writings in addition to the Bible. God, uh, by the power of his Holy Spirit, can help you to discern not only who he is, um, but what he has said and what he wills. And if that is then regarded by a human being as um, backward, then we have to take a deep breath and we have to say, okay, so God is who he is. And just because I happen to live in a time where 
what God has said and what God has ordained to be right and true is regarded by some people as not aligned with what their itchy ears want to hear or what their bodies want to do, um, it doesn't suddenly make the word of God untrue or make God unreliable. So um, these are the kinds of conversations that you and I are going to have to be prepared for today. And um, don't be drawn into senseless arguments, but do prepare your heart and your mind to know what the Word of God says and to be able to point to it and say, this, this is what God has said. This is who God is. This is um, what God has revealed to be true. And even if uh, people today say otherwise, here I stand. I could do no other. Our friend uh, Jeff Barrows is going to join us next from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We're going to talk about the effects of religiousness or spirituality on mortality itself. Like, you know, you might actually live longer. In addition to living eternally, you might actually live longer in the here and now. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, our friend Jeff Barrows is back from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can uh, check out what is happening at cmda.org. If you um, serve in the medical profession uh, in any way, shape, or form, this is the organization for you. Tons of great resources. And uh, and for those of us maybe not in the medical profession, the the thinking through the medical ethics of the day um, that has been done by CMDA and is offered on their website is just incredibly helpful. So cmda.org. Jeff, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. And let me proudly add that I am uh, a Bible-only guy. So very <laughs> glad to hear that you're a Bible-only gal. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. I just feel like, uh, yeah, sometimes you just got to say, okay, you might think this is old-fashioned, but here it is. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Talk with us about um, life and death and the impact on both in terms of um, spiritual practices and our relig- or religious involvement. Well, you know, this is no doubt a topic that I think is going to be of great interest to your listeners. I mean, data from 2022 shows that three out of every four Americans report some type of religious affiliation, and a little less than half report that their their faith is very important in their lives. And of course, the most common faith in the U.S. is Christianity. But what a lot of Christians don't understand is that there are is ongoing research regarding the health benefits in this life of spirituality. And most of this is measured by weekly attendance at a religious service. And one of the things that has been proven over and over again, as you briefly mentioned, is that people who attend a Christian service every week live longer and live healthier lives. But the question has come up, how is it? What is the moderating factor? And so there was a study recently done out of the University of Colorado that looked at this association. And they started out with about a little over 6,000 people in 1995 that were in their mid to late life, uh, so 40s, 50s, and beyond. They followed them for about 25 years till the end of 2020. And during that time, 
28% had died. And as they looked at the characteristics of those who had passed away, uh, they found that those who attended a weekly religious service had a 24% lower mortality rate. Again, just showing again the and reaffirming the data that we've already had before. And then they looked a little further and they found that when those people tended to have a purpose in life as well as more positive relationships with others that contributed to that decrease in mortality. And that shouldn't surprise us as Christians because we have as Christians a purpose beyond our daily job and our family. We're each called to witness our faith, to make disciples, and that purpose gives us reason to live. So uh, it's just interesting that we are hearing more and more about people leaving church. They want to stay home and relax instead. But we need to point out that not only are there eternal consequences, but there are consequences in this life. Uh, and I'm beyond the average retirement age, and so a lot of my retired peers are struggling with this. They're struggling with their life purpose. They're dealing with depression, loss of meaning. And uh, and as a result, many of them are dying early. So it's a reminder that our strong Christian faith has not only eternal benefits, but tangible benefits in this life as well. And we want to certainly um, highlight today's verse of the day, which um, which includes this admonition to let us not neglect our meeting together, as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So remember from Hebrews chapter 10, God is encouraging us in his word to gather together. And you know what? The research actually proves that out. It's good for your health and it's good for your longevity as well. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Jeff Barrows here in just a moment. We're going to talk about a commercially available Alzheimer's blood test could help with early diagnosis. I'm going to ask the question, do I want to know? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Um, Jeff, talk with us about this now commercially available Alzheimer's blood test that could help with early diagnosis. And then let's have the ethical conversation. Um, You know, know, let's talk about whether or not we really want to know. Well, unfortunately, as you are no doubt aware, Carmen, there is this Alzheimer's disease is so common. Six million Americans affected currently. Projections up to 13 million by the year of 2050 will be affected by this. But the diagnosis is very difficult. It typically involves uh, MRI scans, 
various cognitive testing that's usually done by a specialist, physical exams. And then the diagnosis is made typically along with significant cognitive decline. So a company called Quest about a year ago developed a test that is being used right now in specialized clinics. And it just measures the proteins. They're beta amyloid proteins that are associated with Alzheimer's disease and kind of help with that picture of the diagnosis. And what's changed now is that they are making this test now commercially available. It's being overseen by a network of physicians. Unfortunately, the test is very expensive, about $400. Uh, and I'm very glad to see that Quest is requiring that the patients that are able to get this have at least some type of risk factors for Alzheimer's disease, either a family history, some evidence of mild cognitive impairment, or maybe a history of prior head trauma, rather than trying to take this, this test to the general public and letting anybody get it. But as you mentioned, there are positives and negatives. There's a high false positive rate with this. In other words, somebody may show up with a high level of beta amyloid protein, but they're not going to get Alzheimer's disease. So they're going to start worrying. It may also put them at a high risk for getting a health insurance later in life. So on the positive side, if you do get an early diagnosis, you can start measures to slow the progress early on. So it's really a difficult decision, I think, that needs to be made with a primary care physician. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. So thank you for um, for bringing us that. Um, let's talk about uh, youth. I, I, it's even hard for me to read it this way. Gender affirming care. I don't even like that language. Um, but let's talk about what um, physicians are, the conversations that physicians are having now in terms of reviewing what is going on with the treatment of very young people um, who, minors we're talking about here, who want to um, express physically uh, a gender other than their biological um, sex. I don't even know how to say it. Yeah. It's like it's, I have this most convoluted language to describe the conversation that I want to have. But children are being subjected to treatments that is altering the natural development of their bodies and preventing them from naturally going through puberty and growing naturally into the adult bodies that God created for them that is being disrupted and um yeah, and apparently pediatricians are on board with this, and that is upsetting to me. Yeah, you're exactly right, Carmen. Language is important. I also do not like gender-affirming care. I use the language of gender transition therapy, uh, but there's a lot of disagreement. But there, it is confusing to a lot of parents. The American Academy of Pediatrics, which is the large professional association of pediatricians, has about 67,000 members. They regularly release policy statements regarding various types of treatment. Uh, so it's not unusual for them to release these statements. And in 2018, they happened to release a statement supporting the use of again, what I call gender transition therapy. But this statement was a little unusual in that normally the statements are written by a group of experts in the field, 
But this statement was written essentially by only one person, and it recommended very active therapy for these children suffer suffering from what we call gender dysphoria. That's the diagnosis. And basically, dysphoria is a term that means discomfort. So gender dysphoria is discomfort with their biologic sex. And this is a very active treatment. It involves drugs that stop puberty. It involves uh, cross-sex hormones, hormones that are not natural for the child, and sometimes even uh, a surgery. So the fortunately, the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, has an internal policy that every five years they have to reaffirm a policy statement. So this policy statement on gender transition care was released in 2018. So here we are five years later. They did reaffirm it, but they also called for a uh, systematic evidence review of all the studies. And what that essentially means is it's a review not only of the data itself, but the quality of the medical evidence supporting a particular therapy. And this is a good thing. Many European countries have done the same thing. And what they've done is they backed away from this active engagement using all these drugs in these children and focused instead first and foremost on mental health therapy, which is the way we treated this for decades and decades and decades. So on the one hand, I'm, I'm sad that the AAP has reaffirmed this policy statement, but it's a good thing that they've called for this systematic evidence review. And hopefully in the next year, they will make a change. But I do want to add, it does not represent all pediatricians. It's the formal society, but there are many, many pediatricians that are very uncomfortable with this. Um, as always, Jeff, it's um, it's a challenging conversation to have because we know that there are real individuals um, who are suffering. Um, but as you say, there is a diagnosis, and it's called gender dysphoria, and um, and we should be treating it as such. Um, and Leading children, allowing children, participating in um, the practice of disrupting a child's natural physical development through puberty into the body that God gave them to uh, mm-hmm. to live in. Um, like it, as responsible Christians, we have to keep standing up and saying, "I, I don't pretend to." suggest that this is easy. Um, This is hard. It's difficult. But the right thing to do is to come alongside that child and uh, and speak truth and love them and walk with them into the light. Um, It's not to just pave the pathway to to darkness and the destruction of their physical body. It just just that just can't possibly be the right thing. You're exactly right. And, and one of the things that this this policy statement ignored is the data from the late 80s and 90s that 85, if you have 100 children with gender dysphoria, 85 of them will spontaneously resolve that gender dysphoria with simple, watchful waiting, just what you're describing. And so uh, only a very small minority will go on. And so this whole statement ignores that fact. And tells the doctors to actively engage, which is totally unnecessary. If you just do nothing, 85% of them will take care of itself. Mm. 
Uh, Dr. Duff Barrows, thank you so much again for joining us today. You guys can find really wonderful resources related to the intersection of faith and all things um, physical uh, at CMDA, Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. Once upon a time, if I were to start a story once upon a time, and then the goal was to unfold for you the biblical narrative. Could you tell the big story of the Bible beginning with once upon a time? And then um, could you unfold it? So here would be the moves you would make once upon a time and every day until one day. And because of that day, until finally, and from that day on, well, of course, it would end with they lived happily ever after. So I want you to think for a moment about what it would look like to tell the story of the Bible, to tell the story the Bible tells in this format, once upon a time and every day, until one day, and because of that, until finally, and from that day on. We're going to talk with pastor and author Alex Early about thinking about God. It's a theology Q&A for kids, and it's going to teach each of us and all of us to think about the things of the faith and then to walk that faith out into the world that God so loves and to do so together in ways that honor Jesus. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Alex Early is a pastor in Seattle. He is a professor of theology. He's a dad, and he is the author of Thinking About God. It is um, a tool designed for kids, but I'm going to argue today that it is a really good tool for the children of God at any age as we think about God. The book is Thinking About God, Theology Q&A for Kids. Alex, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, we really could just have a whole conversation about what is it like to be a Christian in Seattle, but um, we will we will might save that for another time. Um, I I am going to argue that this book, although you wrote it based on real conversations you had with your own kids, I'm going to argue this is a really good book for um, a new Christian, no matter what their uh, you know age. So this yeah. is about a stage of life. This is not necessarily about an age of life. Um, we have a lot of people listening who are brand new to the faith, and they don't know the answers to these questions that you pose um, or that children pose in a, you know, in a household of faith where they could ask their dad, who happens to be a pastor and a professor of theology, like, what is that? Who is God? What is he like? So um, talk with us a little bit about that question. What What is theology? Theology, that's exactly how the book came into being uh, with a conversation with, with my own kids. Um, theology is simply somebody that's thinking about God. Theos, meaning God, ology, to study. And so it's somebody who studies the person of God. So if I was going to study a person, if I was going to like make a study of a person, I would mm -hmm. watch them, I would listen to them, I would observe how they interact with others, 
Um, I would uh, I would try to judge like what makes them happy or what makes them sad. How do they respond to things? How can I know those things about God? Well, as Christians, we believe that God has revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we find about God in what we call the Holy Bible, the scripture itself. And so that's that's where we turn. And from there, we begin to learn and we study trusted men and women down through the ages that have helped us understand the things that God's revealed in his word and in his world. And so that's where we begin, the church and the scripture. Um, so it has this question and answer format, and I like that very much. That feels very natural um, to me as a, a, you know, as a parent and a grandparent and having these mm-hmm. conversations more and more with, um, with grandchildren, thinking about God, theology Q&A for kids. If you're wondering, if you're listening right now and you're wondering, I wonder if Carmen has copies to give away. She does. So you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Alex, when, when we start thinking about God, um, mm-hmm. when we're talking about parents or grandparents talking with kids in ways that they can understand, can you give us some practical tips there? Yeah. Well, one is to remember that, you know, when a child's asking a question, kids, kids have a way of asking the really, really big questions, you know, um, without any pause or reservation. So the, the, who made God or how long is eternity or what are we going to do in heaven? You know, did Jesus like kids? You know, they will ask those questions. And as they do, as a parent or a grandparent or a Sunday school teacher, whoever's reading alongside them or guiding these kids is to foster those kinds of questions rather than kind of shrug them off or not treat them seriously, but to begin to engage them and go, oh, that's great. What made you think of that, you know, and start like teasing out the idea. Where's that question coming from? That's interesting that you're asking about that. That's really I've wondered that myself, you know. So one thing I've tried to do with with our kids and I think is just kind of good pedagogy is to to foster that creative imagination by first asking, oh, that's a fantastic question. Where's that coming from? So that they can sense the nature that you you really care about them, that you have a relationship with them, and that you're not just there to hand out theological data and answers, but that you're there as a parent or a guide there to um, stay in relationship where you're going to flesh out some of these bigger ideas and answers to who is God and what is he like, you know? Absolutely. I find that um, uh, sort of fostering that creative imagination and that inquisitive spirit is so important. I don't want to stifle their interest. I also don't want to answer a question they're not asking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's that's an interpretive problem that I have. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I do think that asking the question, hey, what, you know, that's such a great question. Um, I've wondered that myself. Um, Mm -hmm. Where where might we look to find an answer to that? 
Um, God gives us some answers in creation itself, like, right, there's a lot revealed right there. And then we also want to look in the Bible for those answers. And then as you have pointed us as well, we could look at Christians over the course of time. So we can, we can look at the testimony of the church. Mm-hmm. I think those are all really, really good. Um, what do we know about Jesus that could help us understand um, or find an answer to that question? Um, I think those are, and so that sort of exploring with them as opposed to just giving them an answer, um, exploring with them how to find the answer is, is helpful as well in terms of discipleship. Mm -hmm. I think so. And to even try to do your best to remember, like when you were asking questions like that, or maybe, maybe you've asked a question like that even recently and come across an answer to go, you know what? I was thinking something kind of like that not long ago and going, here's what I learned, you know, to show that you're still growing too. And you're still asking questions, you know, and some of them are going without answers. Some of them you're going, I just don't know the answer to this one, you know, Um, and that's totally okay. But to show them that you're in, you're in that process growing as well. Hey, um, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, did you hear that? You have permission to say you don't know. Okay. (laughs) So your child, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew asks a question. It is okay to say, I don't know. Let's go find out together. Um, Where would we look to find an answer about whether or not the Holy Spirit is an it or a he? Where would you go to find that answer? Where Where is the Holy Spirit written about? Who talks about the Holy Spirit? Who's in a position to tell us about the Holy Spirit? And how, what do those conversations look like? Like, so, you know, I'm thinking here about what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. That might be a really good place to turn. Um, Mm. Those are the kinds of resources that Alex is going to help you find. He's going to help you put your hands on the evidence that you need in the conversations that um, are emerging with people who are asking questions, not least of which are kids. So the book is Thinking About God, Theology Q&A for Kids. I would put in parentheses next to that for people of any age asking first questions about God and the things of God. So we do have copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, that one of the questions that is in here is this question about the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit an it or a he? How do we how do we dig around in a question like that? Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's exactly <laughs> we're asking the the big idea about the personhood of God, that God mm-hmm. is actually not just one, but God is three. We as Christians, we believe, yes, God is one and three rather. And he's the Trinity. And so when Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit, like you were pointing out a minute ago in the Gospel of John, he speaks of him of the Holy Spirit as a he, as a person. Paul describes the Holy Spirit as someone who could be grieved, you know, that this this is a this is a person that moves into the life of the the follower of Jesus, you know? And so those okay, things are so, but a kid out. is gonna say, like a kid is gonna say, that is weird. Like that's weird. Yeah. Like, the Holy Spirit's gonna come live in me like that is weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is straight. It's it's extremely weird to go, okay, so God is going to inhabit my life in such a way as to to change me, to convict me, to empower me, to strengthen me, to guide me. Um, you know, yeah, 
that's that's unbelievable honestly to say that god would come and accommodate himself in such a way as to live in my life Mm -hmm. and guide me in the day-to-day and that is exactly what the gospel is saying is that god has moved into creation into you into your life and he's not kept the distance but has closed the gap through the death and the resurrection of jesus and sending the spirit to guide his people absolutely that is weird we would call that overwhelmingly impossible grace (laughs) that god would come and guide us in this way and yet that's exactly what the bible insists on god will be with his people it's um it's it's exciting um it's interesting it's captivating it's a little bit weird it's theology um yeah and so we want to think together about god and we want to help our kids know how to think about god and know how to find the answers themselves um, those are all of the things that you will learn and your kids will learn or your grandkids through thinking about God, Theology Q&A for Kids. We're going to continue our conversation with author and pastor Alex Early in just a moment. In the meantime, text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, we are talking with Alex Early. He is, among other things, the author of Thinking About God, Theology Q&A for Kids, Um, Alex is also the lead pastor of Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington. He's a professor of theology as well. Um, So he knows this subject matter, but this um, is written really um, as as an outgrowth of the conversations that Alex has had with his own kids over time. So Alex, one of the things that I really appreciate is the big story of the Bible and the way that you lay it out in this format, Once Upon a Time. And every day until one day. And because of that, and because of that, until finally, and from that day on, and I um I just really appreciate this methodology of reminding us of the power of narrative um and knowing how to tell the big story of the Bible, because that really is biblical theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. Um and in order to do what I'm trying to do with thinking about God is do a bit of biblical theology and systematic theology, you know, biblical theology, like you pointed out, it, it's telling the whole story of the Bible, the big, our overarching story of the Bible from creation to the fall, to the redemption of Jesus, to finally the restoration of everything at his return. You know, that's where that's more biblical theology, systematic theology is taking certain subjects or doctrines and drilling down deeper on one of those so uh, on on that so like it would like you were mentioning a moment ago like the doctrine of the holy spirit okay well that means i'm not going to talk about 
prophets, and I'm not going to be talking necessarily about the atonement of Jesus or something, you know, um, but systematic theology is intentionally drilling down into that subject, looking at that in several instances throughout the Bible. And so what we're doing with thinking about God is bringing both of those worlds together and just going, here's the big story. And now let's drill down on some key areas and things kind of things you just have to know, you know, uh, throughout the book. And so that's kind of the the approach was to bring both story and going deeper in key areas. Okay. Now we just want to know um, a little bit more about you and where you're serving and what life is like for a pastor today in Seattle. And yeah, yeah, so, um, you know, it's post COVID. We, um, we, we here are paying attention to what's happening, not only in our own local churches and our lives, we're trying to pay attention to what's happening um, in particularly the North American culture. So we recognize that some 40 million adults have left the church in the last 25 years. We also recognize there's some places in the country where there was already a fairly low percentage of people going to church prior to COVID. What, um, like, what is it like? What, uh, you know, describe to me um, the Christian life in Seattle, Washington. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's a, um, like everywhere, the following Jesus is always going to be a challenge, even in more, um, you know, conservative Bible belt kinds of places. It's still difficult to follow Jesus because sin is always tempting. (laughs) It doesn't matter where you're located, you know, and yet there are, you know, other kinds of challenges that come with being in a city like Seattle, you know, whether it's political um, or just, the the way our culture already was it was already post-christian a long long time Mm -hmm. ago you know and so um deconstruction and deconversion people moving away from the church and faith altogether um is part of our everyday conversations here and so um it's something that requires a tremendous amount of faith honestly (laughs) um and and some resolve to, to persevere and um, to realize, you know, for the friends that, that have walked away from the faith, it's, it's not, they're not unfounded and it's not just because it's a trend though. Some people are doing that because honestly, it's a trendy thing to do. Sure. But like a lot of people are walking away from the faith because church leadership has betrayed people. to such a degree to where it makes them question everything or others walk away from the faith because of tremendous suffering, you know, for one reason or another. And the suffering has clouded their vision of God and who he is. And so as a Christian and as a pastor, um, I want to stay sensitive to those realities, um, knowing that I'm living in this world too. (laughs) And, um, you know, as the saying goes, but by the grace of God, there go I. And so for me, I'm as for as much as I believe in, you know, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, I also believe in the the preservation of the saints, that God is holding on to his people and holding on to us and won't let us go. And so, yeah, there's a there's a lot of challenges questions that your kids come home with questions that pop up in the news every day or things that your neighbors bring up. Yeah. You're, you're constantly um, having to rethink and give 
you know, as Peter instructs us to give a defense for the hope that we have within, you know? So you're, you're kind of on the front lines as far as mission work in North America goes. I, I can't think of anywhere else uh, where the gospel is more needed, you know? I'm wondering if um, you might come back on another occasion and we could actually talk about the whole idea of replanting an existing church um, yeah. because that's, I, I appreciate that that's the approach that you all have taken at, um, mm-hmm. at Redemption Church in Seattle. Um, Post-COVID, mm-hmm. you did this whole, well, you are, you are replanting Redemption. And I think mm-hmm. that that is, um, there are a lot of people listening right now who are in places where the church is, has gone fallow, the ground you know, like they yeah. they are in a place where a church needs to be replanted. I mean, it used to be a vibrant worshiping community. It used to, you know, there used to be a a production of righteousness, like, right, there was fruit, and now it's fallow ground. And what they really need is a vision for replanting. And you guys have, um, you've taken the time, you've tilled that soil, and you are doing that. So would you come back sometime and we could talk about replanting redemption? Yeah. Happy to. Yeah, Happy I would to. love that. I would yeah, love that. Um, thank you for being with us today. Um, Alex Early, uh, author of Thinking About God, Theology Q&A for Kids. That's the book we're talking about today and giving away today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. He's also um, the lead pastor at the Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington. We encourage you to check that out as well. And now um, I've got him on the hook to come back and share with us about replanting redemption. Um, Thank you so much, Alex. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's just a delight. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, lots of people in the path of a storm. I want you to think about that today. Who do you know that's in the path of a storm? Do you already know you're in the path of a storm? Can you see the uh, the clouds gathering on the horizon? Can you hear the thunder, um, like, rolling your direction? You know when you can, you, you're watching, the, the wind is blowing, and the leaves on the trees, like, turn upside down? You, you definitely know. You, de- you definitely know the storm is headed your way. Sometimes you can smell it. Um, there are people in the path of what is now, uh, well, it's tropical storm Idalia forecast to intensify to a category three hurricane, uh, Northwest Gulf coast of Florida is in the crosshairs. Um, so experts are predicting Idalia will make landfall, um, in that, you know, crook, that little bend of Florida, sometime um, tomorrow. And um, and so let's be praying for people in the path of that particular storm. But whatever storm you're in the path of, or maybe you know somebody who's in the path of a storm today, physical or otherwise, let's be praying for them. Let's hold them up right now. Father God, you, um, you know, you know, you know. You know the storms that are on the horizon of our lives right now. You know the storms that we're in. You know the devastation wrought by the storms that have just passed. Um, Father, we want to be people who acknowledge your goodness and your grace, your provision, your presence, your power in the midst of the storm and even as we anticipate the ones that are yet to come. So we pray for your protection. You are a good, good God. 
And so, Father, we lift up those we know who are in the midst of a storm right now. And for those um, who we know where there are storms just brewing right there on the horizon, grant your grace. We acknowledge it's all sufficient. And then send us as agents of your grace into the world that you so love. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, friend, have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.